As you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? This morning, in our sermon series on the book of Acts, we come to one of the major events in Christian history, the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, fulfilling not just Old Testament prophecy, but the promise of Christ himself. It is impossible to understand what the church is without Pentecost. New Testament scholar Anthony Thistleton argues that Pentecost initiated the birth and era of the church. Hence, the missionary context of Pentecost is fulfilled by the commissioning and empowering of the church. To rephrase that in a way that many of us have heard before, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. But why is it that we understand Pentecost that that way? What difference did it actually make? What what changed on that day? Well, those are questions that we're going to be trying to answer this morning. Because if we here in 21st century Windsor, Ontario, desire to live as the church of Jesus Christ in our place and time, we need to be able to answer those questions. We need to know the difference that Pentecost made. And it's really as simple as this. The church cannot fully be the church without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be who we are called to be without the presence of God dwelling in and among us. It's that simple. And that's what we're going to dive into from this text this morning. We're going to see that from this account that Luke gives us. And the first thing that we're going to see here is that the coming of the Holy Spirit confirms a people as God's own. Those who have the Holy Spirit, all baptized, believing, professing Christians, are set apart as the Lord's very own possession. To see this, we have to do a bit of a history lesson. I'm sure you're all very excited to hear that. It's cold out there. Warm in here. Who doesn't want a history lesson, right? I mean, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the cool, fun part of the church. And now we've got to do some history. Well, we do have to do some history. It's important. We need to know these things. And as one with a history undergrad, history is cool. Thank you very much. One of the questions that I asked of this text in my preparation was, why Pentecost? Meaning, why this day? The Lord could have chosen any day to send the Holy Spirit, and yet he chose Pentecost. Why? Well, there's certainly a practical answer. What we call Pentecost was the culmination of a major Jewish festival known as the Feast of Weeks. This was a harvest 
festival when many devout Jewish people would gather together in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. And so choosing this day to fulfill prophecy and to display his power makes perfect sense as the city itself would have been filled with people. There would have been large crowds to witness the awesome work of God. Makes sense. But of course it goes much deeper than just the practical reason. I, Howard Marshall, points out that the Feast of Weeks was associated with the renewal of the covenant made with Noah and then with Moses in 2nd century Judaism. Pentecost itself was regarded as the day when the law was given at Sinai. Here's where we're doing some history work. The renewal of the covenant and the giving of the law. That's what this festival came to mean for them. That's all very interesting, I know. I can see the excitement on your faces. But what does it have to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit? Well, listen to the word of the Lord to Moses right before he gave the Ten Commandments, right before he gave the law at Sinai. We read this beginning in Exodus 19, verse 4. This is the Lord speaking. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord is telling Moses that he is setting the people apart, that he has brought them to himself to be his holy people, his possession. Right? God's covenant with Moses, it made the people of Israel his very own. It was the promise that they would be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They would be God's very nation. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments to describe the values of the kingdom, showing the people what holiness is and how they're to live as his people. Now, many of us know the rest of the story. The people failed to live that out. They failed to live as the law demanded, as all of us would have. None of us can live perfectly by the law, but God is good to his word. And so he acts on behalf of his people to restore and to redeem them, to bring them back into covenant relationship with him through his mighty work. Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension restores us to that covenant relationship established all the way with Moses, even going back further to Abraham. And that's where it matters for the church. Because if the Feast of Weeks was the time of renewing the covenant and being set apart as God's own people, and the day of Pentecost itself was the day the Lord gave his law, then it would make perfect sense to send his Holy Spirit to fill his disciples at Pentecost. Listen to Paul's teaching for us from Ephesians 1. He writes, in him, referring to Jesus, in him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that marks us as Christ's own possession. He is the guarantee 
We are sealed by him. The gift of the Holy Spirit to every Christian is the evidence that we are members of the new covenant people, which the shed blood of Christ made possible. As we say in our baptismal services, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as Christ's own forever. We are now his treasured possession. We are his very own, who live not in opposition to the law of God, as if the spirit and the law are in conflict, but are empowered to follow God and live in the light of his holiness. That is what the Holy Spirit makes us. Pentecost was the perfect day. If you believe in Jesus, if you've been baptized into him, then that is who you are, now and forever. You have the Holy Spirit. You are Christ's own. That's the first thing we see in this passage. The giving of the Holy Spirit confirms a people as God's own, his very possession. Second, the coming of the Holy Spirit means that God's people, his possession, are filled with his power and his peace. Power and peace. Power is a word that we kind of naturally associate with Pentecost and with good reason, right? We read in our passage that as this group of disciples was gathered together, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. What Luke describes here as a mighty rushing wind is his attempt to describe the power and the majesty of God's Spirit descending upon that place. He gives us both an auditory and a visual display of God's power as they hear his Spirit as wind and see it as what looks like fire. These are symbols of God's power. They're symbols of his power, and they are symbols of what his power gives, and that is new life. The word that we have translated here as wind, it is also the Greek word for breath. And it is the breath of God which brings life. We could think back to the creation account where the Lord breathes life into Adam. Or the book of Ezekiel where the breath of life gives new life to a valley of dead, dry bones. That is what the Spirit of God does. He brings new life. By his power, we are filled to new life. The Spirit, the breath of God, fills people in order to bring what was dead to life again. And that is what we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but the Spirit of God has raised us to new life. That is His very power in us. The giving of the Spirit means being filled with God's power, being brought from death to life, and then that power is put on display. Now be careful here. I'm not saying this as, look at me, look at the power that I have now. No. No. Wrong person being put on display there. For the disciples on Pentecost, it was displayed as 
We heard through the proclamation of God's mighty deeds in languages that were beyond them. For us today, it's put on display through living out the fruit of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit himself through the gifts that he has given us. For some, that might be tongues. For others, that might be healing. For others, it's teaching. For others, it's service or charity. The list goes on and on. But it is the power of God working in us. It is that power working in us, the gift and fruit that he gives us, that is the evidence that by his power, we have been made alive again to be his. He gives us his power. And he gives us his peace. A word that jumped out at me this, this week or so in preparation was one that, admittedly, I hadn't really spent much time thinking about when I've looked at this passage. And it's the word rested. We might think that this mighty rushing wind, right, it comes and it, it fills the house and then it would just overwhelm the disciples, right? What else would a mighty rushing wind do, right? That by the sheer power of God, it would just be like a wave of people being knocked over like we see on TV, right? Or that they would be caught in this sort of trance-like state. You have the text in front of you. That's not how it's described at all, is it? It wasn't scary for them. It wasn't confusing for them. If you look at the text closely, the only people in this entire account who are confused at all are those without the Holy Spirit. Not the disciples. No. Because the Spirit of God rested upon them. It is a peaceful thing. The mighty power of God works unimaginable things in and through these disciples, and yet the Spirit rests upon them. And it makes perfect sense, really. For we're told in Scripture that ours is a God of peace, not of confusion. Another word we might use for rest here is tarry. The Spirit tarried upon them, meaning he stayed with them. In perhaps an unexpected way. Because up until this point in Scripture, the Spirit had only come upon people, very specific people for specific times and specific purposes. That changes at Pentecost. St. Augustine tells us that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended no more as a transient visitor, but as a perpetual comforter and as an eternal inhabitant. He is with us, working his power in us forever. And that absolutely should bring us peace. If we are in Christ, you have the peace of God dwelling within you. You have the Holy Spirit. The power of God is a wonder to behold, and it is something that we should desire to see in his people, but we should not let the power overshadow the peace that he brings. Because that is just as much a gift of God. 
we, his people, we are marked as his very own, should be at peace. For when the Holy Spirit is given to us, he does not leave us. He tarries. He rests upon us to give us both his power and his peace. And he does it all for his glory. The Holy Spirit makes us the very people of God, filled with his power and his peace, so that we might proclaim him. The disciples are filled and they spill out into the streets and the crowd hears what is happening with with great wonder. They can't believe what is happening. They can't believe that this group of Galileans can speak in all the languages of the different nations of the known world. And what does the Spirit empower them to proclaim? What is it that the crowd hears? And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language, we hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God? It's not random words that they're just coming out with. It's the mighty works of God. That is what the Holy Spirit inspires in his people. He moves us to proclaim the work of God so that people from all nations might know that there is a Savior who died and now lives for them. And make no mistake, my friends, the gospel is for all people. It is for all nations to hear. We have this list of different nations and peoples in this passage. We might look at that and think, well, why are these people being signaled out? Or singled out. Why then? Well, what's interesting is that if you were to plot these different cities on, and, and regions on a map of the, of the region itself at that time, they would be going out in every direction from Jerusalem. At the very center is the city of God. And the message, the gospel, the good news of salvation goes out in every direction to all peoples that they might hear that God has acted in this world. This moment is a fulfillment of the prophecy given in Joel 2 that in the last days the Lord would pour out his spirit on all flesh, that all of his people would be given the gift of his Holy Spirit. And what is the culmination of that prophecy? Let me read it for you. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is why the church is filled with the Spirit of God. Not for our own glory. Not to be given some gifts that we can put on display and have everybody, hey, look at me, look what I just did. The church is given the Spirit of God so that we might proclaim the mighty works of God that many would be saved. To not do that, to make the church about anything other than that call and that mission is to function in a way that God never intended. It is to diminish the gospel. It's to diminish the church herself. To remove the life-saving, life-giving gospel from the center of our life together is to cease to be the church of Jesus Christ, for he is our sole reason for being. He is the one that makes us a church. 
Sadly, not all who hear will then submit to the good news of the gospel. It's a reality. It's a sad one. Even some who see miracles will not attribute them to the mighty work of God. Some in the crowd looked at the disciples and they thought they were drunk. It's a display of the truth that seeing is not always believing. That some will attempt to rationalize away that which we know by faith to be true. And yet even in the face of that, the call remains the same. In response to the scoffers, in response to those who rationalize, we do not alter the gospel, nor do we cease proclaiming it just as as Peter did in the sermon that we will look at next week. He heard what these folks were saying, and he stood and he proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ. That is the response. Always those who do not receive to proclaim all the more. On Pentecost, the church of Jesus Christ was born. The church was chosen, filled, empowered, given peace, and given a work to do. To faithfully and powerfully proclaim the mighty deeds of God that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. It was true for those gathered then on that day. It is true for all of us who gather now, who call upon the name of Christ today. The call remains the same. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we praise and proclaim Jesus Christ so that disciples of all generations might come to him and find life and peace. Why Pentecost? Because without it, without the Holy Spirit, None of that happens. But with him, as his people, empowered by him, led forth by him, we fulfill his mission in his world to his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that you would fill us again this day, that you would fill us anew, that we might embrace this mission that you have given all of us to do, that we would praise and proclaim Jesus Christ. That even this city of Windsor and this country of Canada would hear the gospel again and that many would repent and return to Christ. Father, we thank you that you do all of this by your spirit, that it's not about us, it's all about you. Help that to always be the heart of your people that you might be known in this place for generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen.